This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to this Clash of the Titles Christmas Countdown Special! Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas, everyone! Welcome to this Clash of the Titles Christmas Countdown Special as two Christmas movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this Christmas episode. In the red corner, Christmas is all around us, as Richard Curtis tells not one, but 247 different love stories in one movie. A movie that is considered a modern Christmas classic and the cinematic equivalent of having your mouth held open while someone ladles sugar syrup directly into your throat. From 2003, it's Love Actually. This holiday season, join this unforgettable filmmaking team. Welcome, Prime Minister. This is Natalie. Hello, David. I mean, sir. As they explore that time of year, when desires are revealed. I'm in love. Aren't you young to be in love? No. Oh, okay. Secrets are exposed. Your secretary is very pretty. Is she? Be careful, then. And chances are finally taken. While in the blue corner, worried about being lovesick this Christmas, here's an idea. Why not swap houses with someone, stick on some indie rock, ideally the Killers or Jet, and dance the blues away while waiting for either a dashing literary editor or a film score composer to fall in love with you? It happens every day. From 2006, we're going on the holiday. Iris and Amanda are in exactly the same place. Where do I want to go by myself? Depressed at Christmas. Just 6,000 miles apart. Home exchange. We switch houses, cars, everything. Bingo. I need you to answer this. Are there any men in your town? Perfect. I'm here. I'm here. As one door closes, that'll be interesting. Another one opens. Oh. <laughs> Hello. I'm Miles. I'm Greg. I was his brother. 
Do you want some company? Yeah, love some. So what connects these two Christmas films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's this week's Clash of the Titles Christmas Countdown Special. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. Those Brazilian prostitutes were a mistake. It would have been better if they'd not turned out to be men. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. Can't believe you picked that quote. I'm Chris Tilly. Right, I just want to make it very clear to anyone who's tuned in, potentially for the first time, a Love Actually fan who's never listened to Clash of the Titles and gone, oh, Love Actually, I love that Christmas movie. I'm going to give this podcast a try. That quote is directly lifted from your favourite film. <clears throat> directly. Word for word. That is in Love Actually. What a movie. What a movie. Okay, um, welcome then to this week's Riot of Romance as Love Actually takes on the holiday. These were victorious choices. Any particular reason, Victoria, why you chose to pick these movies? (laughs) Now, these are both films that when I'm watching them, I get so mad that I think I'm going to have a heart attack, like so angry, but then by the end, I love them. And so, you know, you know, you hate the thing you love. You love the thing you hate. And I feel uh, sullied. I feel quite dirty. I feel conflicted and depressed when I watch them. But I also feel very excited about Christmas. So what better way to spend the next however many hours of my life than talking to you two about these films in the hope that you can help me make sense of my feelings, see these films for what they are, or join me in this, what I like to think of as a festive gravy of contradiction. Mm. Okay, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm not going to help you understand them because I don't understand them. Chris, did you understand them? Not a second of either film. (laughs) Great. Uh, Well, remind us of the clue you gave us, Victoria. It was Christmas is all around me, even in my Airbnb. Mm -hmm. And Chris, you followed that up on Twitter with? I didn't. Right. No, you didn't. Because scheduling, we are a week or two in advance here. Okay, but you will do. I guess so. Right, okay. <clears throat> Let's say you will do, so there will right. be a clue on Twitter. But obviously that hasn't happened now because we are a week in advance. Just this once, just this one week, we're going to be back as normal, regular service for the rest of the run-up to Christmas. It's just this show. because I know you like the guesses section. It's a fun section. But, but we we, we're it. not going to be doing the guesses <laughs> section for the rest of December. We might. I haven't decided about that okay. yet. Let's discuss this off air. Let's discuss this off air. <laughs> but basically, the problem is, because we're doing it in advance, I'm going to quote Spaceballs, when will then be now? soon. So if you do want to know who got the right guess, uh, you have to head to ClashPod on Twitter. We are at ClashPod. And uh, if you are a massive fan of social media, we're also now on Instagram at ClashPod as well. So let's move straight on to the connection section. Connections for these movies. Embarrassing dancing. That's one I've got. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just sort of starting soft. Yep. Narration. Yes. Um, A lot of narration, very specifically about what love actually is but one voiceover is good like Hugh Grant's voiceover that gets a pass from me because it's about the theme Mm. but Kate Winslet's voiceover is really 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 bad and you do have to think with Nancy Myers do you not trust your own direction that it isn't obvious that Kate Winslet is the girl your main girl she's like hey this is me (laughs) (laughs) bad really bad do not jump the gun the holiday is on Thursday we're doing the holiday on Thursdays all about love actually Uh, but speaking of Kate Winslet she's in both films is she? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit, the Titanic thing. Titanic's oh, yeah. in Love Actually. Brilliant. Yep. Good spot. Brilliant. Uh, Christmas Infidelity. Yes. 130 minutes. Are they both the same? Yeah. Are they? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and some might say 
Too long. Too long. You can lose 20 minutes in both of them, definitely. Yeah. Any uh, more? A man with a manuscript is sex on legs. Oh, sure. And guess what else is sexy? Widowers. <laughs> 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 Nothing is sexier than a dead wife. Right. Oh. Uh, you can have... <laughs> <laughs> As in... The guy is the sexy guy. because yeah. he has oh, a, no. yeah. a dead wife. You should fridge those bitches immediately. Yeah, you don't start digging up graves and going, but at, least, yeah, at least Liam Neeson's dead wife gets a name. Jude Law's, he's like, my wife died. And that's it. <laughs> you can have too many montages. Oh, is that true? Yes. I don't know about I don't know that. about that. Mm. Yes, there's too many montages <laughs> in both of these films. Uh, rich people problems. Okay. 90% of the cast in both films are wealthy. Uh, Martin Freeman and Chris Marshall in Love Actually probably fall outside that bracket, but mm-hmm. everyone else, pretty rich. Well, there's a deleted scene from Love Actually we'll get on to where you see the other side of the coin in Africa. Oh, no. <laughs> Something to look and, forward and whereabouts to. Whereabouts in Africa? Just Africa. <laughs> uh, uh, I've got one. Twats at Christmas. Twats at Christmas. <laughs> Just, uh, so many people in both these movies are twats. Yeah. Like really big twats. Yeah. Okay. Any more? No. All right, the real connection. It's obviously quite a broad one this week, but it's the festive, possibly ensemble, if you want to narrow it down, but it's the rom-com big hitters. So there are certain corners of the internet where argument rages as to which is the ultimate Christmas rom-com. Is it Love Actually or is it The Holiday? And it's often just between those two. Right. So let's decide. We are deciding. Great. That is the premise of this episode. Which is the greatest Christmas romantic comedy? All right. You gave Chris Love Actually from 2003. You gave me The Holiday from 2006. We do it chronologically. So Chris, take us on a journey. Love Actually is a feel-good festive flick in which a bloke stalks his best friend's wife, a bloke obsesses over a woman he can't talk to, and a bloke who says disgusting things about the opposite sex is rewarded with an orgy. Also, the combined age difference between Colin Firth, Alan Rickman, Hugh Grant and the employees that they hook up with is 57 years, (laughs) meaning it's also a film about deeply inappropriate behaviour in the workplace making it less love, actually, and more sexual harassment, actually. Mm. Correct. <laughs> so. I'm so excited. Sorry, I'm so excited. <laughs> I've been wanting to have a conversation like this for years. So there's lots of stories to dig into in Love Actually, so I won't spend a lot of time on the making of it, but it happened... Are you going to ask us our individual histories with the movie first? Yes, I was getting to that. Okay. Uh, what's your individual histories with the movie, <laughs> Alex and Vicky? Uh, Vicky, you go first. Okay, so this, for me, I came to this film too late. So I didn't see it first time around. I didn't see it with all the fuss. And it was one of those films, like, I can't believe I've never seen it. And on a quiet afternoon a few years ago, I was like, I'm going to finally watch Love Actually. And I watched it. And then I was like, what the fuck just happened there? That has made me very, very angry. There must be something wrong with me. And then I found a brilliant article, which is very famous now by Lindy West and Jezebel about, so it's called, I I rewatched Love Actually and I'm here to ruin it for you. And it's like, I'm not wrong. There is something wrong with this film. Um... And, but also it taps into my relationship with Richard Curtis films, which is a massive contradiction. So I hate the way that he does a chocolate box version of London. But then when Rob Reiner does it in New York, that's fine by me. And I hate the revolving cast of perfectly pleasant middle class people. But he made a star out of Hugh Grant. And my love for that man runs very, very deep. So that's it. That's where I am. That's my history. Alex. Watched it about two or three times uh, with the intention of it doing exactly what it sets out to do, which is make me feel warm and fuzzy and mushy and similar adjectives. Uh, However, two things. First of all, I haven't seen it for about 10 years. So this is my first rewatch 
for a long time, about 10 years, as I said. And the second thing is, as happens on this podcast, being forced to watch a movie that you watch and you forgive all its flaws because you want it to do what it's setting out to do, which is make you feel warm inside. But having to analyse it and listen to the dialogue and take on board what is actually happening, wow. Uh, Brazilian prostitutes are just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, There's a lot to unpack here. Sex workers. He, I'm quoting. I'm quoting. I'm quoting. Do I get a pass? You're fine. I get a pass. Thank you, both of you, though. Thank you, Chris, Mm. for trying. You're fine. Yeah, you'll notice in my notes when I quote, (laughs) I say prostitutes, but when I talk about it, and we will talk about it, I will be using sex workers. Someone give him a medal. Fucking hell. <laughs> so you want us to learn, but then when we do learn, it's like, oh, you should have just known it already. No, no, I shouldn't have just known it, but just get over Can yourself. We, let's talk about love, actually. Yeah, um, right. I can't remember first time I watched it. This is just somehow seeped its way into it's my life. On. It's always on. Yeah. And the same with The Holiday, to be honest. I, I don't have memories of watching them for the first time, but certainly I've seen bits of this a lot since then. And it's just... In the culture, isn't it? Every yeah. every Christmas, there's clips from it on the telly. It screens on the telly. There's parodies of it all yeah. around. So, yeah, Christmas is all around. Love actually is all around. So, um, after Notting Hill, um, Richard Curtis took a bit of a break and couldn't decide what he wanted to do next. So, he wrote two films. He wrote one uh, about um, the Prime Minister, uh, who was going to be played by Hugh Grant, and another film about a character played by Colin Firth. And... Um, he realised he didn't really want to make those as individual films because, as he put it, um, they were just turning out to be a shape I know. Um, he said he was more interested in writing a film about love and what love means. Um, and he was also interested in doing something like Robert Altman. Reach for the stars, Richard. Yeah, he name checks. He name checks Nashville and Shortcuts. Um, Woody Allen. He name checks um, where Woody Allen tells three or four stories at the same time and Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I saw that. He said. He said. Suddenly, I thought, I'll write one of those. I could do that. Turns out, I can not only deal with jolly people fall in love and kiss ones, but I can also deal with the Emma Thompson story and the Laura Linney story and the father and son story and stuff. Incorrect. (laughs) Um, So. He wasn't always going to make a Christmas movie, though, was he? That came later, didn't it? He he sort of went, it wasn't going to be a Christmas movie. And then I just thought, oh, I love that time of year. Which I think is exactly the parallel of Bill Nye's story in the whole movie. Yeah. Where it's basically like, write a song, but yeah. put Christmas in it. Or take a known song and put Christmas in it, because that'll sell yeah. better. Write me a blank check. <laughs> yeah, I've got a director friend who took a meeting with Ridley Scott, who liked his work. And Ridley Scott listened to all his horror projects and then zoned in on his Christmas project because he says that's how we'll make money if Mm. we do a good Christmas movie that's how we'll make money Um, and this one did make a fair bit of money but yeah he calls this his pulp fiction Um, I love multiple storylines but I soon realised how tricky they are at first we had 14 different love stories but the result was too long so four ended up going um, including two we'd actually shot which I will get to uh, once we talked about the actual film Uh, and then the cast is obviously quite star studded but as he says now it wasn't as star-studded at the time. He said, we thought we had a good mix of people who were quite famous and those who weren't, but it's funny how unbalanced it all looks today now that Martin Freeman did The Hobbit, January Jones did Mad Men, Chiwetel Ejiofor was in uh, 12 Years a Slave. Uh, He said, I knew from the start I wanted Hugh Grant as the Prime Minister and Emma Thompson as his sister and I wrote the Martine McCutcheon part for her too. Bill, These are his words. Bill Nyes was the strangest casting. I had two famous guys in mind to play the ageing rocker Billy Mack and I couldn't decide who to ask. But 
at the read-through, Bill did it so perfectly, he became a definite yes. It's a weird one, isn't it? I think this movie was the emergence of Bill Nye as something of a national treasure. Before this, he was more of a jobbing actor. I mean, and a great theatrical actor. No, I'm not saying he was not a great actor. But this movie just like sent him stratospheric and we now all go, oh, Bill Nye. But it was this. I've spoken to him about that at a Crystal Palace football match. He supports Palace and we were talking about, he'd just done Shaun of the Dead and I'd been on the set of Shaun of the Dead and we were chatting about that. And he said to me, it doesn't matter what I do from here on in, I'll always be the bloke from Love Actually. Mm. And he said, I'm really happy with that, but I know that I could win an Oscar and it wouldn't matter. I'm the bloke from Love Actually. But he did win a BAFTA for this, didn't he? Did he? I'm pretty sure he won a BAFTA for this. He was certainly nominated. I'll have to check. It won a lot of awards, this film. Certainly the Evening Standards Awards it won. Uh, Empire Awards it won. Uh, yeah, I think Best British Film both times, maybe. So, yeah. Um, so he says that um, although all the strands come together in the end at the airport, I still felt like making 10 separate films. It was massively difficult to edit. Uh, the order I originally wrote it in didn't work at all, so we had to reorder it completely. It was a bizarre four-month game of 3D chess, and he said it was the toughest thing he's had to do. Bill Nighy did win Best Supporting Actor at the BAFTAs. So should we talk about the movie? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we kick off with the airport introduction, Arrivals Gate at Gatwick, um, <laughs> with Hugh Grant in voiceover talking about uh, the plane hitting the Twin Towers. Fucking hell. <laughs> that, right, so I, I like this narration up until that point. Yeah. And I was trying to work out what is my problem with that. And it's because it's taking a real world event, a tragedy, but nevertheless, a real world event and applying it to a movie that for the rest of the two hours bears absolutely no resemblance to real life. Absolutely. And book uh, book ended by the scene at the end, also at the airport with real people. So he's trying to say love is all around. It's the, what you've just seen is so relatable. It's like that is 100% untrue. Yeah, this is a fairy tale. No, no, nothing happens in this movie that you go, I can relate to that. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And also that whole opening scene is just like Dogma. You know, in Dogma, Kevin Smith's movie in 1999, where Ben Affleck's talking about being at the airport and the reason he loves airport is because you see humanity at their best because everyone is just forgets everything and it's all about love. It's that. Mm. Uh, and as Vicky said, that was real documentary footage. They shot without anyone knowing they were shooting and then had to rush up to people and ask them for permission to use it, which is quite voyeuristic, which is the theme of certainly one of the stories in this film, which I'm going to get to a little bit later. Um, but now what I'm going to do is go through each story rather than do the film chronologically. Uh, I'm going to take each story separately, working my way from best to worst. Okay, great. Just give me time um, to get my notes. Yeah, and also give me time to interject with, I've rated each story with a Christmas cheer <laughs> or a Christmas... I, and a few are interchangeable, and some of them I couldn't decide, like maybe three that were fine and a few that were terrible. So I, these could move around, so up to you guys if you agree or not. But I'm starting off with one that maybe I like the best, okay. and it's the kid one. Oh, let me just check my notes. That is, you mean Liam Neeson and Sam, his son Sam, that kid. Yes. Yeah, okay. That, I'm afraid, gets a Christmas uh, from me. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I do have an aspect of it, though, that gets the biggest uh, of all my errors today. Okay. But um, yeah, so this is about uh, Liam Neeson and his son, his it's stepson. His stepson, yeah. Uh, Liam Neeson's wife has died. Um... <laughs> Which Emma Thompson, his BFF, when he speaks to her on the phone, says, I'm not, uh, she doesn't want to be on the phone to him. And she goes, it's not that I'm not terribly concerned that your wife just died. But literally just died because we go to her fucking funeral. That's the bit. I'm like, oh, that's very kind of funny and Emma Thompson-y. And she pulls it off with a plum because it's Emma Thompson. But then you go, she's literally just died. She's been dead a week. Jesus. 
but he's not that sad. He's, he's able to make Claudia Schiffer jokes um, at the funeral and then Claudia Schiffer jokes a bit later. <laughs> um, don't know why he's doing that. <laughs> uh, seems a bit incongruous. But yeah, his uh, stepson is sad, but he's not sad because of his mum. He's sad <laughs> because there's a girl at school that he loves. But he doesn't, Liam Neeson doesn't know that. And he's like, come on, son. Like, are you being bullied? It's like, my mum just died. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm being sad. But no, he's in love. He's so creepy. Yeah. And Liam Neeson needs to stop crying because Emma Thompson, ever the shoulder to cry on, uh, when she sees him crying, says, get a grip. People hate sissies. No one's ever going to shag you if you cry all the time. Not in the ground yet. No. <laughs> Not in the ground. Well, when we talk about their relationship, let's. I, I want to play you a deleted scene from their okay, from story. Emma and Emma Thompson and Liam Neeson. Indeed. Okay. Now, uh, yeah, I was going to describe it to you, but I'm going to play the start of it because I don't think you'll believe me that this oh, is real. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the first seventy seconds, and then I'll tell you what happens for the rest of the scene. Thanks for coming. Must be busy days with David and everything, huh? No, I never see him. Oh, oh, I never thought. I did some research into Claudia Schiffer for you and found some rather hot internet sites to keep you busy in the lonely evenings. Don't be so disgusting. So, Emma Thompson uh, then leaves the flat. She's been on Pornhub. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Uh, Liam Neeson goes upstairs. Uh, the boy's in his bedroom. He's looking at his computer. He thinks, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll have a look at these porn sites with Claudia Schiffer. So he, he logs on, uh, types her name in, and um, he gets to a page where he can see more. So he clicks on that, and then they ask for his credit card details. Liam Neeson doesn't want to pay the money for it, so he clicks off it. But suddenly all these porn ads start appearing on his computer, all these pop-ups, and he can't get them to go away. And the main one is women fucking animals. That's literally what it says. <laughs> and just at that point, this comes up on his computer screen, someone knocks at the door and he's like, oh no, what do I do? And he can't get women fucking animals off his screen. So he takes off his coat, put it on, puts it on the computer, goes and answers the door. The bloke comes in, this little old fella comes in, says, oh, I'm sorry about your wife. I want to show you this golfing website. <laughs> So they go to the computer. Liam's panicking. The bloke sees the bestiality website. Uh, Liam doesn't know what to do. Goes and gets his son and offers to pay the kid 50 quid to take the blame. The kid negotiates... To do what, sorry? <laughs> the kid negotiates for £100 and and um, takes the fall for looking at bestiality on his dad's computer. And that's the end of the scene. Classic Curtis. Why is that not in the film? <laughs> we could lose the whole Laura Linney story oh, and get God, that please. in. Yep. Wow. That's I incredible. Just, my mind can't cope with it. <laughs> but you see, so so much of this, we'll get onto it, but so much of the sexy stuff, let's call it, in this film is clearly written by a public school educated yeah. Oxbridge graduate. Yes. It's, it's a very, very unique view yep. of what guys are like mm -hmm. about sex. I 100% agree with that. We've got about 10 stories to get through, so I'm going to rush through this. I mean, there's a weird bit where when the kid's sad, and realize, when he realises kid's in love, he suggests watching Titanic with him and yeah. does does the Leo and oh, Kate thing. Yeah. I thought that was quite cute. No, no. I don't think yeah. you'd watch that with a kid. Why? He says the most inappropriate things to his stepson all the time. He's like, we wouldn't want you, if Claudia Schiffer came around, you'd have to leave. And mm. he says, like, why? He says, so we could fuck in every room or something. <laughs> That's your stepson. Yeah, I think he's great, though. The kid... Thomas Sangster mm. 
is mm. fantastic. He's a brilliant actor, but it's so creepy to have adult words in his mouth. I disagree. I think the bit where Liam Neeson, when they're talking about what it could be that's upsetting him, and it turns out it's because he's in love, and Liam Neeson goes, I thought it'd be something worse. And the kid goes, worse than the total agony of being in love? I was like, nice. Shut up, kid. <laughs> so the kid uh, can't speak to her, so instead uh, learns to play drums so he can play All I Want for Christmas is You with her at a big concert at the end of the year. <laughs> Did you think that when Liam Neeson sees little Joanna that his stepson's been going on about, he looks at her he's like, she is fit to be fair. <laughs> I didn't think that. That's disgusting, Vicky. Oh, yeah. I didn't think that. I was literally, I was so angry when she started singing because I was just like, fucking precocious American (laughs) kid. Oh, what? Thomas Sangster can be like, oh, what? The unbearable lightness of whatever. And then an American girl starts singing. You're like, it's that whole, it's that whole like talent show, mouseketeer in training kind of like singing like an adult and like, you know. Also, the one good bit is where she's singing, All I Want for Christmas is You. And she's pointing at the audience going, oh, all I want for Christmas is you and you and you can see him on the drums behind her and he's looking like I really wanted to point at me but he's not looking like oh I really hope it he's like if you don't point at me I will fucking murder you yeah, the look like on that. his face is terrifying <laughs> scary little boy it's like I'm going to jam this drumstick into your eye <laughs> yeah it's like that uh, and then uh, it doesn't happen at the concert, so they do the airport run because she is leaving the country. So they rush to the airport. Oh, no, he meets Claudia Schiffer uh, playing a woman called Carol. Um, he gets her name wrong. He calls her Karen, which is Emma Thompson's name. And there was kind of a subplot that was cut out where him and he's in love with Emma Thompson as well. That, that would character. make sense. It yeah. doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, it's just rude without that subplot. It's like, <laughs> I literally <laughs> just said Carol. Karen. Carol. Karen. Carol. Carol. And there's another bonkers deleted scene here as well, or an extended scene, where in the original cut of the film, they'd seeded throughout the movie that the kid is good at gymnastics. So in that airport run scene, when he's running from security, he flips over them with a somersault. Um, He cartwheels when it would be quicker to run down a corridor. And then just by chance, there's a bunch of parallel bars in the middle of the airport and he starts flipping on the parallel bars. Amazing. Also, you can't do that in airports anymore. You You run through security like that, you will get tasered. I mean, to be be the... the person the devil's advocate I love love genuinely our race to the airport literally and figuratively in rom-coms a race to the airport but I think this is a mistake that the film makes which is the race to the airport is between kids and I'm a rom-com fan and I want that moment that kiss to be fireworks and heat and something that gets your blood up and not between kids basically Mm. that's what I want from my race to the airport I got a bit emotional when she gave him a peck I'll give it over yeah I did not Um, not like that kid (laughs) not Thomas Sangster don't like the precocious American. Okay. I know uh, you're not meant to say that about children. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's, it's more what she represents. You're supposed to build them up. Yeah. yeah. That's the end of that story. Uh, on to what I'm calling the really boring one. Uh, this is Laura Dinney, Laura Linney's plot. This is not oh this wait, story. let me let me check my this this sorry, this is another this is Laura Linney and Carl. This is a Christmas. Ugh. The one the only the the one redeeming feature of this story is the fact that as I said in my intro, the men are so much older than the women in this, in this, so many plots in this film, but she's 11 years older than the man in this mm-hmm. one. So it does redress the balance ever so slightly. So she's working for Alan Rickman. And as her boss, he tells her to go and ask Carl out, which <laughs> it seems yeah. like something you shouldn't do. A weird meeting. Because uh, it's a meeting. She arrives in his office for a meeting and he goes, so uh, sit down. <clears throat> You've been in love with him for how long? 
you need to do something about it. What, what sort of boss? Yeah. What is this? It's not HR appropriate. Yeah, but also she's not great because I just, the bit where she calls her brother, who's got the mental health difficulties all yeah. the time, he, little darling. Or babe. Mm. No one calls her brother babe. Weird. Hello, babe. So she's in love with uh, Carl, yeah. played by Rodrigo Santoro, who I'll be honest, looks more like a Rodrigo than a Carl. <laughs> I think they should have called him Rodrigo. Why is the scene with them on the bed so uncomfortable as well? It's, when they tried to sleep together. Yeah, it's something really uncomfortable about it. I don't like that matchup. Oh, okay. Because mm. he's just, I don't I just, you can't stop looking at him because he's so, so, so good looking. Yeah, and I hate to say it, but you, I think my problem is that they just you just don't imagine that he would be attracted to her okay I'm, I know it's a, it's a bad thing to say and obviously the, I think the problem is that we don't really hear him say more than seven words <laughs> four of which are good night twice but <laughs> yeah. you just need, I just need a bit more understanding why why he's picked her yeah and it's madness she's there I assume to represent sibling love familial love rather than romantic love because the writer has decided you can't shag this gorgeous man and look after your brother. You must choose. <laughs> so why does she have to choose? Like, what did she do to upset him? That he's like, nah, you can't get both. Yeah, there's a there was a, a review in I think it was in the New York Times. Uh, the reviewer said it's disturbing to see Emma Thompson's range and subtlety so shamelessly trashed, and to see Laura Linney's intelligence similarly abused as a lonely, frustrated do-gooder. The fate of their characters suggests that women who are not young pert secretaries or household workers have no real hope of sexual fulfilment. Uh, her story ends with her crying and getting a hug from her brother. Yeah. And that's the end of that one. Uh, uh, next one is the song one. Uh, Bill Nye's Billy Mac. Yay! This, gets a, this is a Christmas cheer. Thank God for Bill Nye. Yeah. This one's pretty bad. Um, he's the bad granddad of rock and roll. It kicks off with him not being able to get the words of his song right and swearing a lot. And Richard Curtis does this a lot. Swearing comedy, swearing humour. Okay. He kicked it off in Four Weddings and a Funeral and yeah. here, the fuckity fuck fuck. Oh yeah. That kind of humour is is so prevalent in this movie and I don't think you can keep using it. Marty McCutcheon does it in every scene that she's in pretty much. Sorry. I he does it in every scene. Now. Marty McCutcheon says piss it, which no one has ever said <laughs> in the history of swearing. But when Richard Curtis is good, I know what you mean and she's like, oh, I thought I'd fuck it up or whatever. But it's just after Hugh Grant, she said piss it, which is weird. But he says to her, well, you could have said fuck and then we'd really be in trouble. And as a joke, that works. I know it's heavily reliant on swearing, but it's building on what she said. So when he's concentrating or trying or whatever, it I do like the swear. I mean, you know I like a, a swear word. I mean, we're not doing that story yet. I know. But that moment, I get goosebumps at great cinema a lot. I don't get goosebumps at bad cinema that often. It takes a lot to actually make the hairs on my arms stand on end. That meeting between Marty McCutcheon and Hugh Grant was like nails down a blackboard for me. I hated it so much. Her like, oh shit, shit. Oh no, I said shit. Oh, I'm Fuck. I'm, I'm like, die! <laughs> we'll get to that one soon. So Bill Nye's Billy Mack, who's doing a Christmas cash grab of doing a cover of Love Is All Around called Christmas Is All Around. So very meta in the Richard Curtis universe. Um, he's not very proud of himself. Um and I can see why he isn't. He makes jokes about shagging Britney Spears. Um, he says the record's crap and encourages listeners to buy uh, the festering turd of a single. He calls them an Ordeck, which is a joke That's that me and Vicky like. funny. That is funny. <laughs> he says that Blue have got little pricks. Oh, I remember Blue. 
Mm. Uh, he does have one good line tell kids to not buy drugs become a pop star and they give them to you for free <laughs> the, uh, the the credit to Deck in this bit when Bill Nye goes they're very talented musicians Blue the yeah that Deck delivers I, don't, I actually don't know which one is Anto or Deck um, what I, I genuinely don't oh my I think it's because I'm an ageing rock star it's mm. weird um we see his music video, which is an homage to Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love, but much more sexualised. Did you sexualized. see the woman playing the drums? With her legs, yep. What the fuck is that? There, there's a lot of spread legs in this film. There is. Um, lips being licked, close-ups of tits in that video, just... Yeah? I mean, it's... it's Like, the Robert Palmer video was like a satire of music videos, <laughs> and then this goes in the other direction and just <laughs> sexualises the satire. Yeah. Um, there's another deleted scene here, which I'm going to tell you about because it's not that nice. Um, it's two weeks before Christmas and Billy Mack and his manager go to the record company asking for more money uh, to market the record. A female executive comes in. He asks her if she's 12. Um, he claims to be 94. And then he asks her if she's ever given an old man a blowjob. And it's really uncomfortable and it's played for a laugh. Right. And it's just, yeah, another... Good decision. Another dick to move. cut that, but it's just weird to me that a that got written and b that got shot. But and so much of this in the writing, I get really angry about. Did an internal alarm not go off when mm. you were like, "She's his cleaner"? Oh, hang on a minute, Richard. That's not. Let's not do. But this that. is what I'm talking about when I say, you know, I, I uh, Richard Curtis is a brilliant writer, no doubt. But the blue humour just comes from a public school educated place. The bit where Bill Nye is in the radio studio and says. Those young pop stars stretched out naked with a young bird balancing on their balls. Mm. It's like he knows the words to use. He just can't assemble them in the order of a sentence, which makes any sense. Like yeah. that a person would actually say. That's why when he's writing a working class in inverted commas characters, such as Martine McCutcheon, she comes down the stairs. We'll get to it in front of her whole family says, where's the fucking fuck is my car? <laughs> it's like your mum and dad are there. You wouldn't speak like that in front of your mum and dad. And also again, piss it. He uh, he goes on Parkinson and shows Parky his cock. Uh, one of the most disturbing moments in the film yeah. is when Parky, he's got Bill Nye's got his trousers around his ankles, and Bill and um, Parky, not just he doesn't just poke his head round the side and go, that's never going to make it to number one. <laughs> he grips Bill Nye by the hip to to, to like. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it is like, it's if you just saw that moment, it's like, I've just finished giving him head. It's not going to make it to number one. Wiping his eyes. <laughs> Wiping his mouth. Oh, is that how you do it? <laughs> You've been doing it wrong all these years. I such sore eyes all the time for no reason. Uh, and this story ends up being all about Billy Mac's love for his manager, who is Rabsi Nesbitt. Right, this is going to sound weird. Can you explain this to me? Because I've watched this movie, like I said, numerous times. I don't understand. Is Bill Nye gay? Is that I, no? So I think they pull back from it, pun. I think I when that scene you watch it, you're the love of my life. Yep. Says, I'm going to spend. You know, I, I suddenly realise the classic rom com moment. I suddenly realise that you know that when Harry met Sally line about mm -hmm. when you realise the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, you want the rest of your life to start now. Right. And all of that. And so then, but then it pulls back because they go to kiss each other, sort of, and it's like, and it's all a bit grumbly and whatever. And it's like, it should be like hot and heavy between them two. They should kiss each other because that to me is what that scene is. But it's, 
it's just not explained. Like whether it's he's talking about platonic love. Yeah, I think it's platonic love. Yeah. 100%. But 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 the way he says it, it's a very confusing scene. Like yeah. it does it does start like he's like you are you're the person well, I've loved this whole time. Well, it starts with him saying he's um, left Elton's house uh, where there were a hefty number of half naked chicks with their mouths open. Rude. Or yeah, their but eyes, also, or their, but eyes. Also, <laughs> <laughs> their eyes were right open. <laughs> but also, Elton John's house. <laughs> you didn't understand that line, did you, V? You were like, why are their mouths open? Get your eyes open. <laughs> but also, is Elton John's house full of half, half naked chicks? Yeah, of course it is. If he's having a party. Mm. Um, <laughs> not day to day. <laughs> and so they have this platonic moment. Have you not been? And then he says, uh, let's get pissed and watch porn. Oh, God. So yeah. are they? Are these friends wanking together? Because <laughs> that's not a deleted scene I could find. Right. But who watches porn with their mates? Public schoolboys do, don't yeah. they? No. Yeah, uh, they I do. bet they do. they do. I bet they do. It is. It's sort of, yeah, in fact, they do. What am I saying? They do. They definitely do. Because I've had conversations with posh boys who go, oh, I'm doing this watching the porn. Uh, you know, you're like, with people? Yeah. Why? Why? What were you? With your mates. It's yeah. so odd. It's just a very strange thing. On that weird bombshell, uh, let's take a break. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
And we're back. Let's talk about the affair one. This is Alan Thompson. Alan Thompson. Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman. Oh, wait. Let me find out what have I got this here. Is this the big is. One for oh, me. this is Christmas cheer. I oh, like really? this one. Yeah, I like this one. Okay. Uh, this is horrible. So, um, Emma Thompson is married to Alan Rickman, but he has a secretary called Maya who fancies him. Improbably. Was it Mia? I thought Mia. Mia. Yeah. Uh, flirts with him mercilessly. Um, Badly. Talks- Talks about doing things in dark corners with him. Opens her legs. What bad? Well, that scene where she swivels round on the office chair and uh, she's got—I mean, fashion-wise—the worst boots and skirt combination <laughs> in the world. And her legs are sort of spread, and you're just like, "This is." If I saw that, I'd be like, "No, thanks." <laughs> I was—I was actually up for it until then. All these dark corners you're talking about. Yes, but it makes that, no sense. No. Who is she? Why does she like him? Who is he? Who is anyone? Come to think of it. If like, we—if we weren't sure about her it, at the Christmas party scene that uh, comes up next, uh, she's dressed as a literal devil. She's <laughs> oh, literally. Yeah. She's actually got horns and everything. Yeah. <laughs> at a Christmas party. Uh, next scene, we cut to her in her bedroom, stripping down to her underwear for how, no apparent reason. No way. <laughs> how is that scene framed? Richard Curtis, the director. It's framed by Emma Thompson mm. in bed, in the bedroom, sorry, with her husband, taking her clothes off and she's got this night, like a slip on, a night dress, whatever. And she says, oh, I feel like Pavarotti or I can only wear clothes that Pavarotti can get into. Patently untrue. Jump cut to girl in her underwear. Now, the characters aren't reflecting on that. It's, it's the director saying Emma Thompson is a front patch because look at this hot 100%. thing. This, this woman outrageous. has a better body than Emma Thompson. Yeah. He tells us it and then he shows us it. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, and then we got this business with the Christmas present. Uh, he buys a necklace for Mia and um, his wife thinks it's for her. Which is why I give this a Christmas cheer, because I think this whole story about the necklace is, is really, really good. It is good. And the way the conclusion to it is probably the greatest line in Love Actually, which is when after... She finds out and the mm. whole thing and he goes, Alan Rickman goes, I've been a fool. Mm. And she says, but you've also made a fool out of me. You've made a fool. Uh, you've made the life I lead foolish. I think that's a really good it's line. It, There's it, a it, lot in that line. And line. she delivers it really well. That's so, the best line in it. Do you think Rowan Atkinson spends too much time yeah. wrapping the present? It's, that it's, joke doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't work. But when Rowan Atkinson's at the airport later, there's something about the way he says... It's something about a cup of coffee. It's just such a throwaway line. I was killing myself laughing. It's done brilliantly. But he, he has to salvage it from the overkill of the rapping scene. That is so dull. So uh, Richard Curtis hadn't watched this film since he made it. And uh, a few years ago, it was on the telly. And so Emma Freud, his wife, uh, watched it with him and live tweeted it. And so people are asking questions about the film. And in this scene, she says, originally, Rowan's character overwrapped the gift on purpose to stop Alan Rickman being able to buy the necklace because he was an angel. And so there was a subplot where that character is an actual angel. And and so that's why he would help out here. And obviously he helps out at the airport, allowing the kid to sneak by. Um, So in terms of the gift, do you buy into this tradition of opening a gift early on Christmas Eve? Nope. No. No. A lot of people do, though. It's a, it's, I think it's a, I don't think it's just a cinematic trope. I think it I've happens in real life. Yeah, uh, and there's there, there seems to have been a debate as to how far the affair actually went between Rickman and the girl. Did they consummate or did they not? What do or you think? Is it, well, what I can't tell from uh, this viewing is 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 this the first time he's transgressed? Because 
Emma Thompson has a very, she's just so fucking good in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, she says to him when she's just said she looks like Pavarotti, Mia's pretty. And he's like, oh, I hadn't noticed. She's like, don't be ridiculous. Of course you noticed. And she says, just be careful. And then walks off. So she says, be careful there, as in she can see what's going to happen. But is that a warning because it's happened before? Or is that just a very, she's just very astute and she knows something is going to happen, but it will be the first time it's ever happened. First time for me. Do you think so? Yeah, I don't think he's got a history of doing this. But I think he's so say... he's so flummoxed by it initially. He's so sort of like, is this really happening? Is this yeah. girl hitting on me? It's not like he spots the signs and is like, cool, yeah. I'm going to get me some eye sex. And so do you think they shagged? No. No, I don't. I don't. So they did. So Emma Freud was asked this question. Obviously, you can't see it in the film, but she said that's what he, it was in his head. They definitely had an affair. I begged Richard to make it just a flirtation, but no, they went the whole way. Okay. So that is her words. Um, and um, people asked, do they stay together as well of Emma Freud? Yeah, because the first time I saw this film, I was sure they, she'd forgiven, Emma Thompson had forgiven him. And I was so furious. I had some sort of like... Stomach came out in a rash, like yeah. hives. I do quite. If I get very emotional, I actually do legitimately come out in hives. I can so, believe that. Yeah, it's, mm. it's really true. And that's why I'm wearing a, a roll neck top because I'm right underneath this. I'm like a cherry red. <laughs> I like, wondered because you keep itching. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable. Mm. Anyway, I thought she'd forgiven him first time, and then second time, I actually wasn't sure because she's like, "Let's just go home." When she picks him up at the airport, and it isn't that obvious to me mm. now. I think I was just so cross the first time. She says it's nice to have you back. That's fine. That doesn't mean. He can move back in. Uh, not my words, the words of Richard Curtis's wife. She says, they stay together, but home isn't as happy as it once was. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> this is on Twitter. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this watch along. Have yeah. a good one. Suck uh, it up, Emma Thompson. <laughs> there's, also, there's also a deleted scene from this section involving uh, Bad Bernie, who is uh, their kid who they don't really like, who causes trouble. Um, and you, there's a joke about, uh, he's written an, a story about um, being able to see your own farts. <laughs> in the film they actually shot that what his story is you see a version of it as someone reads the story in the headmistress reads the story we see it on screen of uh, bubbles coming out of people when they're farting you see the grandmother doing it at Christmas you see a choir in a church farting and all these bubbles coming out and then the, the, the finale of that gag is the queen says something and then farts and bubbles come out that's really funny um, <laughs> And so, yeah, they call Emma Thompson into the school to tell her off about it. Right. And then she comes out of the office and rather than being annoyed, she supports him because he's writing good comedy, her little boy. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Moving on to the naked one, (laughs) Alex. Uh, Where are we? The naked one. Uh, This is Martin Freeman and Gemma, Joanna Page. Stacey, she's called Stacey. Right, yeah, she is. Uh, No, sorry, this gets a Christmas uh from me. Oh, I like this. Why do you not like it? Uh, Because it's entirely unbelievable in every single way. Now, I know that... This has never happened to you. There is no, if you find yourself, if, you, if you're a stand-in for sex scenes on a movie uh, and you're there to like basically give the crew an idea of what the sex scene is going to be like when the actors turn up and someone goes, we need you to massage her breasts. Yeah, that's not right. For lighting. <laughs> you need to get off that set because that is not acceptable. You've never used that <laughs> Also, Martin Freeman... You don't need to gyrate against her. Just stand in that position. Yeah, ideally, stand still. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but, but it's just the thing. We need it for lighting. Do you? Do you really? 
are you rolling on this? Am I? Are you making a different kind of movie? What kind of film are they making anyway? Uh, fuck knows. Yeah. I honestly, for the uh, this is the only time I've realised their stand-ins. I thought it was sort of like they were doing a dry run for the porn movie that they were both in. I oh, thought they okay. were porn actors. I mean, this, this we don't need to dwell on this one. It's only there so you can see English people awkwardly flirt while simulating sex. Which is funny. Yeah, it's quite funny. Yeah. Um, so he's asking her out for a drink with his cock in her face simulating a blowjob. Yeah. And it's awkward and quite funny. He's stammering and stuttering, stuttering very much like Hugh Grant, which quite a few people in this film have to do the Hugh Grant stammer stutter. Okay. I, I think it's probably written into the script that, oh, you stuttered this word and you stuttered that it word because that's what up. we do. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just, I don't get the bit on the doorstep where she says, all I want for Christmas is you. And then goes, bye! <laughs> it's because, Alex, later in the film, they're going to play the song All Out for Christmas. <laughs> All I want for Christmas. What do you want for Christmas? I thought he was like, oh, so we had a nice drink and we're going to have a kiss. And she's like, yeah, it says that. And then shuts the door on him. <laughs> and he, he doesn't make any sense. A big leap down the stairs. He also uses the expression the Prime Minister is gay as a picnic basket. Which I I've never I've never considered a picnic basket to be potentially a, a, a gay artifact. But you know where they do. Eaten. Yep, there yeah. you go. And we find out they got engaged at the end. Moving on, the Prime Minister dances one. <laughs> best best story. So uh, this is one of the worst stories. Nope. Um, <laughs> Christmas cheer. 16-year age difference between Hugh Grant and Martin McCutcheon. Uh, he is a single Prime Minister. That's the first black mark, isn't it? Not to be a traditionalist, because I'm obviously not, but it's very, it would be very difficult for an unmarried slash single uh, I know Boris Johnson isn't married, but say, we've be... got no, no, no. he's the first unmarried prime minister, though I believe. And it's t- like twenty twenty, so it's like it's taken that long. And but for a single man, mm. for a man with no family, no attachments, no nothing, to become prime minister, I just don't believe. It. Do you remember when they made they made that's not the right way to say that when Ed Miliband married his longtime partner, and they weren't into marriage, but because they thought they had a shot at like you're going to become the prime minister, they sort of it, it felt like he'd been forced to get married. Yeah, <laughs> basically. So, yeah, he's kind of awkward in a Hugh Grant style. She's even more awkward with her swearing. She keeps swearing in inopportune moments. But it's love at first sight for him, mm, yeah. really which happens is. quite a lot in this film. We've got a lot of love at first sight. It's a nice line where he goes, oh, that's inconvenient. I just look because you want to shag her, not because... No, I think he feels more than that. Hugh Grant is how? great in this movie. He's just yeah. seen her for the first time. That's he can't feel more than that. That's how love at first sight fucking works. That's the whole point of it. It's lust. It's love at first sight. And also... He is brilliant in this movie. He is the saving grace of this film, Hugh Grant, which is why I rate this story so highly, because he's Hugh Grant and he is so likeable that you forgive the fact that his story seems to largely revolve around fat shaming. Oh, my God. Which is a clip I just want to play that we can then discuss, uh, which is, uh, this is not the first time. We we start the the, the fat conversation Mm -hmm. about Martin McCutcheon, who isn't fat for a start, which makes it all the more like, what what is this? What is happening? But he, uh, she says, my ex-boyfriend was a bit of a dick. He used to say my thighs were as big as tree trunks and no one would want a fat girl. And that's how it starts, which fair enough. That's a description of an ex she had who was a dick, which, yeah, okay, we're there. But this, later on, we get Annie, his like second in command at number 10. Is she? Who knows? And she, well, yeah, it's not really explained who no. she is. But then she has a conversation with him, which I'm just going to play this in, which goes like this. And you're like, well, we'll discuss it after I play it. Here we go. This is it. Hey, Natalie, who works here? The chubby girl. Would we call her chubby? I think there's a pretty sizable ass there, yes, sir. Huge thighs. Yeah. 
But whatever. <laughs> fucking hell. I mean, that is the right response. Yeah, well, whatever, you fucking loon. This is what I mean about the, the process. You're sat there, you're writing it, and then do you not go, oh, do you know what I've done? I'm a nice guy, but accidentally I've now pitted the women against each other. Good one, oh, me. Yeah. Um, so my questions uh, based on that are, would anyone ever have this conversation? What are we meant to take from it? That she is fat, but Hugh Grant can't see that because he's blinded by love. That Annie hates her because Hugh likes her. That Annie hates fat people. That she is fat, but you don't really describe someone as having a sizable arse no matter what the situation. <laughs> She's definitely fat because her ex says it, that woman says it, and then her dad calls her, her plumpy. It's just, it. it's just we, the audience, can't see it because <laughs> she's clearly not. Yeah. But the fat shaming goes on and on in this film. Yep. Um, Emma Thompson said she feels said she feels fat and the only clothes she can get into her own by Pavarotti. There's a, del- there's a couple of deleted scenes, so he cut some of it. Um, Emma Thompson moans about her ass being the size of Britain's biggest seaport. Right. That was deleted. Um, another deleted scene, Liam Neeson tells Emma Thompson to get her fat ass out of his house. <laughs> um, and then there's fat shaming. It's not just on women, it's on men as well. Billy says he's going to get drunk with his fat manager, calls him a chubby employee, then call him, calls him chubs. And the Portuguese dad, uh, towards the end of the film, calls his daughter Miss Dunkin Donuts 2003. So that is, I think, 10 fat shaming jokes. I think Richard Curtis might have an issue here. <laughs> um, Hugh Grant dancing round number 10, though, to move on from fat shaming. Very funny. I can't he, really look at it. He's great. He's, but he's a really good dancer in he it. He is a good dancer. You know, I watched that when, when we had that giant hangover and I watched that Hugh Grant documentary and it was like the best thing I've ever seen because I was feeling so... Yes. wrecked yes. and sad yeah. and he talks about that scene about how you know it's mortifying because he you know th- people think that Hugh Grant is this very sort of like flappy like oh goodness me is it raining kind of person but he isn't and Richard Curtis knows he's a good dancer because you know he used to be back in the day he, he's you know he can kill it on the dance floor when he needs to to like get some female attention well that was his audition for four weddings Richard Curtis just sat there in his pants going dance for me Hugh <laughs> dance for me <laughs> But yeah, he said it's hard. He did it really early in the morning because it's mortifying and it's, you know, he wasn't in the mood for it, but he doesn't really dance like that. Mm. He dances like a sexy bastard. Yeah, he's great. Before uh, he does the dance, though, there are some horrible scenes. Uh, Billy Wilthorne playing the president. <laughs> She's a pretty little son of a bitch. Did you see those pipes? Yeah. No, I've been to America. People in America don't say that. Yeah. I love the idea. It's like, should we give Billy Wilthorne a bit of character? No, he's just a bad one. Yeah. Just straight. Just there's nothing good about yeah. it. Well, he sexually harasses uh, someone. Or oh, does no, he? It doesn't matter because she apologises for that later. So it's clearly her fault. I, she un- says believable. there was a fire. Does she say there was a real fire, sir? And I don't know what came over. Me, so it's like, well, so you get warm and you try and get off with someone. <laughs> I don't understand, but that's not her fault. But it's like they don't want to acknowledge whether it was what it was. It's it's another it's yeah. another whole thing that is just sort of left suggestive. Yeah. Like so, the her explanation in the card, sort of you're going, but I didn't really understand. He sort of was standing quite close to her, yeah. and he sort of had a glass of whiskey in his hand, like a, a pissed guy in a bar, going, "All right, yeah, how are you doing?" Like the whiskey came from nowhere. He's like, "Nice whiskey," because to do this, I have to have had a drink. <laughs> uh, it's a very strange. It's strange because. The power balance in that room is he's the president of the United States and she's what? She's, I don't even know what her job is. Is she a tea girl? Like, what is she? So no matter what he does, she's not really able to be like, get your fucking hands off me, mm-hmm. Billy Bob Thornton. When she apologises for that, she, he, Hugh Grant is a nice guy. She said, don't apologise. It's fu-. You know, you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Before, he he, before he gets the card, uh, the Prime Minister delivers a Brexit speech about Shakespeare and Churchill. And Nina Sassan just does like And the Beatles <laughs> and Harry Potter and David Beckham. It gets the same kind of cheers from the press as Nigel Farage does from Racists. That's yeah, what I felt about that scene. Bit, I love it's that scene. It's such a Brexit scene. Uh, you know, 
the problem with that scene is at one point he he basically says America is a friend no more. Mm. Which kind of sounds like a declaration of war. Yeah. It, he sort of goes a little too far. Yeah. And you're like, this is this feels like you're sort of going, we are now at war with the United States of America. <laughs> because he got off with my T-girl. He touched her ear. <laughs> there was a fire, to be <laughs> fair to her. <laughs> and now I'm going to rain fire on you, America. The Christmas card you referred to, she's had to send uh, because he sacked her, because he fancies her. Yes. <laughs> Uh, disgusting. Is that? Oh, good. That's why he sacked her. I thought he sacked her because she let Billy let Bob Thornton touch her. <laughs> I, thought it, I thought it was really dark. I was like, have you sacked her? Because she was like, you're tainted now. Yes. You're, you're sullied by the American president, so you can't be mine. And she ends that Christmas card with the words, I'm actually yours, uh, because in this film, women are either possessions or trophies to be won. <laughs> and she is a possession. So he heads to the dodgy end of Wandsworth, um, because he can't find out her address, it would seem, even though he's the Prime Minister and she did work for him. He goes door to door because it's part of the service now uh, and sings um, Christmas carols to a couple of kids. Great gag that his chauffeur is a brilliant yeah, baritone. Like, yeah, uh, beautiful Welsh voice. Yeah, that's very funny. Um, she swears a bit more because swearing is uh, funny. I did like it in the, when they're sitting in the back of the car and the little octopus boy climbs over him. <laughs> that really made me laugh. It goes on a bit long. Yeah. Uh, I think Ebba Thompson says 20 years ago you'd have been his type it's so weird isn't it <laughs> it's like they're pointing years. out what, we've, what we're doing here that's yeah. weird and, and also sort of throwing her to the dog it's such a strange thing oh be careful there he might try and shag you no I did look it up and so this sounds a little bit naughty to say this but I was like when she goes oh it's my older brother I'm like get yeah, away I was like no he's not and then I looked it up and she is only a year older than him is she really and in that scene I don't know whether it's the lighting or whatever but Hugh Grant looks incredibly fresh faced next to her Yeah, she looks like his older sister how old is Emma Thompson in this film do we know? Well, she's 61 now is she I know you're not meant to mention women's ages but Wikipedia did it for me okay but yeah, she said. Uh, so when was it? It was 20 years ago. Okay. <laughs> Still fitter. <laughs> Still this. <laughs> Fucking Wikipedia. <laughs> You've been lying about it then. <laughs> I don't know how they find out. <laughs> uh, since we started this, it's been me that's updating your page. <laughs> I can believe it. Um, so it ends with them uh, kissing uh, on stage in front of a huge audience. They get a standing ovation and then they kiss again at the airport at the end. They're together. Yes. Moving on, the foreign one. Oh, lovely. Uh, this is a full-blown Christmas cheer from me. Are you shitting me? I love this. Sorry, awful. are you awful. being serious? I am absolutely 100% serious. Well, tell me tell me for why you think it's acceptable. Why this story is acceptable. Yeah. I'm going to save it for the bits. If I, if I might save it for the bits, that's... Because obviously by saying that, I'm saying this is going to be one of my good bits okay. at the end. So that is how much I love this story. This is my favourite story. So let's talk about it. Colin Firth um, is in love, but he doesn't realise he's being Ryan Giggs. <laughs> um, because his girlfriend is seeing his brother. Mm. And she says things like, hurry up, big boy. I'm naked and I want you at least twice before Jamie gets home. What is that line? Why? <laughs> Why? I mean, it's literally like... How much information can I condense into one sentence to make sure you know I'm cheating on you from another room and simultaneously that it's been going on for a while? It's like, it's just, it's just again, it's not a sentence that anyone would say. No. So he runs off to France to a beautiful college in the cottage in the countryside to write his book. And um, he's brought a uh, Portuguese cleaning lady to fall in love with. Aurelia. Aurelia, who doesn't speak any English, which is ideal. 
Uh, for this a very, film. very long gag um, that is yeah. run into the ground very, very quickly. <laughs> he realises he likes her when she strips off to her underwear and in slow motion uh, goes to retrieve his book from yeah. a lake. A pond full of eels. <laughs> um, so they fall in love via a game of charades um, and then they part ways, but she kisses him. It's not that she doesn't speak English. I love the idea of uh, a, uh, Richard Curtis putting into this ensemble love thing um, love that doesn't require language it's instinctive it's even animal and I'd, I'm fully into that I think that's fantastic and if she'd just not been his cleaner I would love this yes. section yep, yep. but does she clean his fucking toilet like I don't get it it's lazy as bastard shit because what Why? Richard Curtis needs is a reason for her to be in his house every day right mm. so that they can be with each other yeah. and fall in love cool. so he's gone how alright who has to come to your house every day and in his world <laughs> you're fucking cleaner so he's like well that'll do but she could have been a writer she could have been anyone like she could have also been on it could be a writer's retreat and she's a writer across the lake and she's writing her book and he's writing his book and then they connect like that she cleans his shit and she doesn't speak English she doesn't clean this shit. That just goes straight down the toilet. I don't know. <laughs> what happens in your house? Is it a bucket in the corner? There's a lot of boys in my house. <laughs> I'm a boy. I know how to flush my poo away. Okay. But either way, I think it's fine. I think it's, it, it's Why? nice. Why? What? what? Be, are you suggesting that he can't fall in love with his cleaner because, like, he is in in, in the power, like, yeah. rot in that? In that, but that's, yeah. but he could. Being but a love cleaner is... is a precarious job. It's cash in hand. He could get rid of her at a moment's notice. The power dynamic is off. If if he thinks she's in love with him on equal footing, he's mistaken. And those are all problems that are created by her being a cleaner. So get rid of that storyline. So you think that the joke at the end once they're married and she comes back to the UK and goes your friends are really good looking perhaps I chose poorly isn't a joke she's actually acknowledging the fact that she's probably going to leave him to, to, clean that? That, to clean their houses you get that from what I just because said it seems what like, you've just said to me is aren't women fucking evil and well, divisive no, I'm, what I'm getting from you is this idea that because the power balance is unfair yeah. she's like she's obliged to no, be obliged, with him in... but the film throws up these things no the film doesn't have you believe that the film has you believe that it's all equal what a fucking insult that when he goes back to get her she's a waitress now like give her a good job <laughs> like why has she got to have these jobs why do your female characters have these jobs cleaner tea girl assistant why and all you men are like well, I'm the fucking literal <laughs> Prime Minister fuck off <laughs> sorry I'm alright now no I sorry. said at the start these are all the stories I don't like because of the sexual harassment element of it they seem to be your favourite ones Al Colin Firth it's incapable it's Colin Firth I know he is incapable of sexually I know, I know. harassing anyone he's like his whole character is so naive and forlorn and like like bewildered that I think it works. I, I don't think there's anything that fits the dynamic that you're talking about because of his performance and his innocence. Yeah, but it wasn't and written like that. He didn't he didn't write it for <laughs> Colin Firth. And it doesn't matter but that she's a cleaner. It's just that the he other did write women... It for Colin Firth. Well, oh, did he? And also, yeah. there you go. If you write that for Colin Firth, you go, Colin Firth can sell this because it's Colin Firth. Yeah, you wouldn't need to sell something so awful if you didn't have all the women in economically disadvantaged positions to the men. Well, let's, we're, but we're separating out this particular story yeah, at the moment. It's an ensemble piece. That's why it jars so much. Yeah, right. and, and that I'm my all, point. I, yeah, and I've said I don't like a lot of the other stories, 
But I'm taking this story singularly okay. and I'm going, I think this works. Okay. I think it's fine. You don't that think she's... it's off that she cleans for him? I think she cle- she's a cleaner and she's come into his house and he's fallen in love with her. And that's just happened in okay. the story. So this disgusting story, uh, he goes away <laughs> and learns Portuguese, uh, goes around to his families for Christmas and then says a man's got to do what a man's got to do and heads back out there to find her while all the kids in the house say... I hate Uncle Jamie. But then this is Richard Curtis not being as good as Richard Curtis because there's no ticking clock. So he runs off to get her, which I love. And he goes to the airport and he's he's in Marseille and off he goes. Jean Jean Moreau nicks his taxi. That's weird. One of the greatest (laughs) French actresses of all time. That's her nicking the taxi. Sorry, go on. But there's no no race against time there because he's going to go back and get her earlier. And I've, you know... I am actually underneath this cold exterior, very vulnerable to things like this. It's really sweet and lovely, but there's no ticking clock. If he's a day late, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and that is not how Richard Curtis does these things. He's there to traffic her back to the UK. <laughs> what, um, what, what you'd love is if if there was the potential, the ticking clock could be she might be about to get a better job, uh, <laughs> and, uh, not a waitress. Like she could be doing something good, and therefore she wouldn't waitress, she wouldn't be but... interested in him anymore. Is that no! what you're saying? <laughs> I just mean when you're writing, it's a process and you brainstorm. Oh, I've got this character of Aurelia. Who is she? What does she do? She's a cleaner and she's sometimes a waitress. And it's like, but she could be anything because you've gone into the realm of the incredible because you have the prime minister in this and the president of the United States. So you, you're you not beyond being like, oh, well, that's not that realistic. Like, why do all the women have to have the job? Not all the women. We're talking about this one story. There's oh. three stories where this is the issue. That's the problem. If it was one story, it wouldn't be a problem. Yes. But it's three stories where this happens. Okay, so just so we can put a fucking pin in this. Yep. Wait, please. Right. <laughs> okay, we're putting a pin in it. So if the what if the story that Richard Curtis had intended to write originally about the Colin Firth character, about this writer, was just one movie and she was a cleaner... That would be fine. Flip the genders. That's what I would do. Yeah, that's a good idea. For once. But is it too much that they also don't share a language? I like the idea of two people being in love that don't share a language. But then if you've got one very much, you know, the power balance being off, it just feels a bit... So rather than um, ask her out on a date, he asks her to marry him. And she says, so yes. fucking stupid. Annoying. Yeah. And that's the end of that one. Uh, the porn one. <laughs> this is the second I worst story. I can't believe I'm having to defend this. You're, how are you both you more cynical than me about this? You have, there's a suspension of disbelief here, right? This is a movie which is like a fairy tale. And like you just Ooh, have now to... I'm, now I'm really mad. <laughs> now I'm really the, mad. The, the porn one. Who is this a fairy Stop tale for? scratching. <laughs> <laughs> I can see... The, I know you've, you wearing, you've rubbed yourself raw I there. know you're wearing a roll neck, but it's making its way onto your face. Oh, my God. We have to have a break. Has anyone got any foundation? This is so bad. Chris Marshall is harassing women while selling sandwiches. But I thought, it's the Chris Marshall thing. I, having watched this film twice, I think it's a dream sequence, isn't it? It's not real. No, it is real. It's not real. It, it, and I said that. I was like, is this a dream sequence? Out loud to myself as I was watching it. I was like, is this a dream sequence? It is. But no, it's not. Because as I just said, the movie's a fucking fairy tale. So this is actually happening because it's a ridiculous movie where a guy can get off a plane in Wisconsin and suddenly end up having a foursome, a so, fivesome. So yeah, he, he thinks English girls are stuck up. American women are more game for a laugh. So he heads to Milwaukee with a rucksack full of condoms and immediately gets chatted up by January Jones and Alicia Cuthbert. 
who are laughing at everything he says. They invite him to stay with them, uh, but they've got no bed and no couch, just one bed and no couch. It's going to be crowded and sweaty and we can't afford pyjamas. Uh, you've got to meet Harriet. She's the sexy one. That's really funny. I mean, I know, I, this is the trouble. I love right. what I hear. A good joke's a good joke, but yeah. it's just it's just so bizarre. They have sex at a window. And weirdly, Emma Freud says uh, the scene where Colin is seen through the window of the American girl's apartment was the one I battled and lost. It still makes me wince. She wanted it removed. Yeah, no shit. Uh, oh, I just I would take out maybe the whole storyline. No, <laughs> yeah. because no, it's a weird to put to put a shitty porno in the middle of this film. It's just bizarre, and it's it's oh, so it? predictable that it's a boy going to meet girls to do that in this film. It's so fucking pre- painfully predictable. Have you ever watched a porno? Because they tend to yes, show more than silhouettes behind a curtain. <laughs> it's not a porno. No, but they talk like porn, <laughs> like women in porn films. What the things they yeah. said. A what a woman in a porn film would say. We can't afford pyjamas. We all sleep in the same bed. <laughs> That's from a pornographic film. Well, one with a story. I mean, a, lo- <laughs> a lot of them, they don't talk at all. <laughs> and uh, so Your he get- life, Jesus Christ. <laughs> he gets his foursome. Um, then one month later at the airport, we meet Harriet. She's Shannon Elizabeth. And uh, Denise Richards starts getting off with his friend. She- she's been brought, she's been trafficked over as a gift. <laughs> for his friend she doesn't want to talk she just wants to get down to fucking and that's the end of that story oh no <laughs> it's bad Alex it's really bad and it's not the worst one it's heartwarming traffic is a gift that's so funny I'll take that thank you it's Christmas it's about suspension of disbelief it's wonderful his Christmas wishes have come true all he wanted was girls and he's got them he's got lots of American girls falling everywhere just dripping Um, let's move on to the final story Uh, the worst story in this one the stalking one yay Uh, (laughs) Tell Edge of Four is getting married to Kira Knight um, his best man is Andrew Lincoln um, and he tells me he doesn't want any surprises uh, this is when the Brazilian quote comes from yep um, what is what again again public school educated Oxbridge graduate that, there's so many layers to that line so he says uh, Brazilian prostitutes were a mistake it would have been better if they'd not turned out to be men this, this is this. There's so many assumptions are made about this. First of all, that a gag is just a gag, yeah. and that you can do a gag, and the audience won't immediately attach massive opinions to the characters who are involved in that gag. Because the suggestion is that they hired Brazilian prostitutes mm-hmm. on the stag do. Yeah. Now, I think again, there's another massive like public school assumption here that strippers and sex workers are the same thing, yeah. which they are not. No. And I think he's... Because strippers on a stag do, yes. That's a, that's a commonplace thing to happen. Go to a strip club, da-da-da-da-da. I think the idea of using prostitutes on your stag do... And I was having an argument with Nettie about this because she was like... I've, you I say can't... argument, you're just checking. Just... <laughs> I'm not saying that this is what I'm going to do. Don't look at me Yeah, like and I'm but getting like... interested in what this answer might yeah. be just in case I get an invite. Because I, I said, I, said I, think it's, I think it's a movie trope. I think it's a myth. I don't think it actually happens. And she was like, it's not a myth. And I was like, really? Okay. But she was like, it, probably around the time of love, actually, it was happening a lot more. I'm like, oh. well, men haven't changed that much in 17 <laughs> years that now we're not doing it anymore. I genuinely don't think it happens enough. And especially not with the kind of guys that Andrew Lincoln and Chiwetel Ejiofor are playing in this movie. Yeah. That it's believable in any way they would have hired prostitutes yeah. on that Sex night. Sex workers. 
Sex workers, thank you. Damn it. I was doing so well. It is like they've been, it's like they've walked off the set of very bad things into Love Actually. Yeah. And it puts her, Kira Knightley's story, in a different complexion because when um, Andrew Lincoln sort of makes it clear what's going on, she there is a moment where she's watching that creepy fucking wedding video where she should run for her fucking life. Mm. But she's like, right, shit, what do I do? And the story could be like, well, she she runs off with him. She gets off with him, whatever. She cheats on her husband. But if we think her husband has slept with a sex worker, right. then that throws that the purity, quote marks, of that relationship into question already. Mm-hmm. So at the wedding, Andrew Lincoln surprises them all with a choir singing All You Need Is Love, uh, thereby making the day about him. And it's just, it's quite cringeworthy, (laughs) that scene. Um, (laughs) Oh, no. What? I promised I wouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) Nettie doesn't come out of this very well, and she made me swear I wouldn't say it. But when they start singing, (laughs) (laughs) you've started now. When they start singing, All You Need Is Love. And I was like, oh, interesting. And she was like, ah. It's, who's that guy singing it? I'm like, oh, oh, I, I don't know. And she went, is that the guy who wrote the song? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't have said no, that. No, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I was like, he's not the Beatles, if that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, right, as, I am uh, fucked. As, <laughs> thank you, Alex. Uh, as Vicky said, uh, uh, Kieran Knightley wa- goes over to his house and wants to see the wedding tape. Uh, for some reason that's a bit vague. Um, he's looking for the video. It's sitting just behind um, a video rear window. It is. Uh, <laughs> because this man's a bit of a voyeur because we realise that in filming the wedding, he has only done close-ups of her face. And uh, it's just a sort of hour-long close-up of her. What does she say when she sees this? When she sees her face, what does she say? The first oh, she thing? says, I look quite pretty. <laughs> I look quite pretty. I look quite pretty. <laughs> um, you had one job, Andrew Lincoln, you utter fucking freak. Um <laughs> <laughs> They're all of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, How is she not running? Why? And f- to, to a lawyer, file a restraining order, <laughs> and then uh, that builds up. But into- also, why does he like her? This is a Richard Curtis classic thing to do for a woman to display her character through a cute thing she did. So she's like, "I'm really a nice person, apart from my taste in pie." She's like, I will fucking kill oh, wait, you. Let's listen to that scene because that scene he delivers. He delivers uh, the the best uh, whatever. In, in that scene, it's so it's so good. He's great in the in this scene when she turns up at the door, and her line uh, when he goes, he doesn't want any banoffee pie, is like, "What the fuck? What, 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 what are you talking about?" This is that scene. Banoffee pie. No, thanks. Thank God, it would have broken my heart if you'd said yes. All oh, right, well. Lucky you. <laughs> it wasn't whatever. It's, lucky you. It's like so like, what the fuck is but wrong with you? He does it time. well. Like, you, I understand there's a lot to get through in this film, but why does Egg from This Life love Kira Knightley so much? What is it about? She, she only she doesn't have a long top that covers her stomach. Is that what it is? Like she looks great in a crop top, but that's it. She likes pie. <laughs> fuck off. But there's no, that you've got 10 seconds there where you could have a little bit of backstory between the two of them that explains why he's so into her. She doesn't, uh, she doesn't just love pie. Uh, she fucking loves pie to the point that if, if she, like ridiculously, she loves pie a lot and yet she's still willing to give it away, but she doesn't really want to give it away. And if she had had to give it away, it would have broken her heart. Oh, yeah. uh, 
Now let's dig into Love Actually's most famous scene. And if not its most famous scene, then definitely the most parodied. And that's the scene where Egg professes his love for his best friend's wife. Yeah. Um, so I want to start, but he's standing there with a small stereo and a pile of big cards and he rings on the doorbell. What if Chiwetel answers? <laughs> he doesn't call her mobile. He rings the doorbell. So there's a 50-50 chance of his best friend coming to the door yeah. and he's... What's he gonna do? Would he have still performed it? <laughs> and it's the it's the deception as well. Say it's Carol Singers. <laughs> <laughs> My God, what a brilliant film it would have been if she's like, what? And he's like, get in the van. <laughs> so what he does is inspired by um Bob Dylan's video for Subterranean Homesick Blues. Yeah. Um and yeah, say it's Carol Singers, um, and he says, "With any luck, by next year I'll be going out with one of these girls." And it's a pic- it's pictures of half naked models that he's cut yeah, out. I saw Kate Moss, and uh, it's the kind of mood board a serial killer makes. <laughs> it's like crudely cut out pictures of semi naked women prit sticked to a bit of card. Yeah. And they they did do a sequel. Uh, Red Nose Day, actually, for yeah. Comet Relief, where we saw where all these characters were. Now he shows up again at her door, uh, and they make a joke about his beard because he's got his Walking Dead beard. And he he says, "You know those girls I showed you? I did marry one of them." And then Kate Moss comes over, and oh, they're married. Okay. The problem is the next card. Is <laughs> Say it's Carol Singers. <laughs> When he shows the pictures of the women, and then the next card says, "To me, you are perfect." And that I was like, when did she ever tell you she didn't think she was perfect? Like he's ask, he's answering a question no one asked, which is, are you saying she's that Kate? He could actually go out with Kate Moss, but to him, Kira Knightley is just as good because she could be like, I don't need you to tell me these things. Look who I'm married to. I don't need you to tell me that I'm perfect. Like it's it's in, it's inferring that she's got a, a self esteem issue that she doesn't have. Or the implication is that he thinks Chiwetel Ejiofor doesn't value her as yeah, much yeah, as yeah. he does, which you've not seen any evidence. No, of. No, absolutely. And I, but I wonder if there is. It's sort of alluding to that in in some way because like she goes to answer the door and Chiwetel Ejiofor goes, "Tell him to piss Fuck off. off. <laughs> Give him a quid and tell him to piss off." And turns the TV back up like they've been married twenty years. <laughs> uh, and, but, but before the knock at the door they look really happy lying there together mm. in each other's arms yeah yeah i think but the fact that she then chases him down the street to give him a kiss <laughs> would suggest that she is missing something that he has completed within her no i don't think that's it what is it then she doesn't want that it's a big moment it's a big romantic moment she can't do anything she doesn't want to do anything that far but to sort of acknowledge the moment a little kiss is fine she's not cheating on her husband it's just a kiss but Andrew Lincoln's line after I think he does his absolute best but every time I think of that line which I think of it maybe like four or five times a year and kill myself laughing where he's like that's enough (laughs) enough now enough now I like it no I don't think it's terrible it's absolutely terrible because it's clearly not enough so why he should he can't just be over it in like five seconds? I don't I don't buy it. But it's also it, it's all, it does make it all about him as well. All right, you did your big thing, yeah, and and now you've done enough. And what's yeah. it taught and him? She didn't leave him for you, so <laughs> let's move on. And, and what's it taught him? It's taught him that stalking and obsessive behaviour will get you a snog. <laughs> so we'll move yeah. on to the next person. Uh, because a bit later on, uh, his Colin card f- list, his <laughs> yes. big card list of well, his, next no. tar- his next target. Colin Firth introduces Andrew Lincoln to his missus at the airport at the end. I think that's dangerous. <laughs> oh yeah, he'll be he'll be off again. He's got form there. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the money shot in the trailer, the scene that sort of sold this movie was Hugh Grant dancing in <clears throat> Number Ten Downing Street. But actually, now this has become 
the calling card for this film. This is the most famous scene. Ooh, no pun intended. Um, yeah, and I, it's just, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> I, so I, there is part of me, the rom-com loving part of me, that can see it for what it is, and it is, it's a very sweet, romantic gesture that's fantasy and wish fulfilment, and I can see why it works, and I, I can see that he's a stalker, but when he's doing... <laughs> my only issue is that, to me, you are perfect, so I'm like, excuse me, yeah. but the idea of someone turning up at your door and declaring their love... Is obviously. I just wish it. I wish they could have written a way that it wasn't the best friend though. There's just something so deeply unpleasant about doing that behind your seeming best friend's back. Yeah. 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 But then you know they do have prostitutes together, so you know sex workers. He's not an angel either, is he? Yeah, I was quoting that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but this, but this, this scene is what you just said, V. Is it's the it's the film through and through. You either dissect these moments and go, what the fuck is that, or you go. That's cute. Yeah. That's really cute. That's a really nice saccharine soaked moment yeah. for a romantic comedy. And you have, it depends which side of the fence you fall on. It's rotten. Rotten <laughs> to the core. And that's your side. Uh, and so then we've got the ending in the airport. Uh, Rich Curtis says, with love, actually, that ending was really important to me. I remember noticing at an airport, it was actually while we were shooting Mr. Bean um, and I was stuck inside and I suddenly saw all the extraordinary emotion. And I thought that is the proof that there is so much overflowing love in the world and it's absolutely core to people's lives. Yeah, but that bit at the start where he goes, uh, Hugh Grant's narration goes, uh, and I, I think um, when the planes hit the Twin Towers, uh, all those phone calls were that were made, they were messages of love, not hate. Which, I mean, as dark as it is, it immediately made me think, that would be funny though, if you <laughs> used your last moments to call someone and go, hey, I don't have long, you're a fucking massive cunt. I hate, I hated doing that podcast. <laughs> I have always hated you. <laughs> um, so there's a three hour, 30 minute cut of Love Actually somewhere. No. <laughs> Uh, the 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 scenes that were shot that were cut the the storylines it was the relationship between the headmistress played by Anne Reed at uh, the school <gasps> I attended love Anne Reed. and um, her terminal Ill partner played by Francis de la Tour. Oh really? Oh that's yeah. A shame. So so she's a stern headmistress. You think nothing of it earlier on, and then later on we see her story, and she's actually really got this really sad, sweet home life. Why and would you so, keep Chris Marshall but cut that? That doesn't. I think that's good. the reason it got cut was for the Chris Marshall um, story, wow, and, and it was a great sh- story. That's why <laughs> um, <Very> relatable. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so it's sort of the movie. The audience was supposed to see a moving scene in which she's clearly in pain, but the pair discuss Starsky and Hutch and posh sausages for cuddling up at night. And it's later revealed during a school assembly uh, that she died shortly before Christmas. Oh. Which, proving that if you are gay in a Richard Curtis film, you will probably have to die. That's just what happened. That's true. If you'd have been in, I'd be like, I can't believe this. <laughs> and then um, with the other subplot uh, about. Africa. Oh my God, I can't wait. So Richard Curtis said Please he... Please tell me, it's not specific to a country in Africa. Someone just goes to Africa and holds a dying baby. I'm gonna, in fact, let's do bingo. I'm going to guess. I want to I'm break... out there anyway doing the comic relief video. So I'm just going to... Can we just take a moment to uh, shoot some other stuff for my movie? <laughs> I want to break the preconception that other place in the world where life is very hard, love wouldn't be the thing that are on people's minds. Uh, not in my experience traveling to Africa for comic relief. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's a picture. It starts in what there's there's two different versions of it, but in the background of a scene, there's a picture on the wall of two old African women carrying huge loads of heavy sticks on their backs. But we push into the picture and we go into the scene, and they aren't talking about the land and agricultural aid. They're discussing the daughter's boyfriends and their husbands. Yeah. 
And so we see that they're just like us. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, and the alternative one was a man looking at his dead crops. And when we push in, his life is fine because his wife loves him. But they're going to have to move because of the dead crops. <laughs> but because he's loved, it's fine. And she makes a joke about moving to Paris because they're just like us. Yeah. <laughs> Keep or lose for Chris Marshall's orgy. <laughs> Oh, that's tricky. No, you, you, you keep the Anne Reid and France de la Tour one. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's about it, apart from the fact that there was uh, this sequel, Red Nose Day, actually in 2017. Uh, Andrew Lincoln's with Kate Moss and that. Hugh Grant is Prime Minister again, and he's still with Martine, and he's dancing to Hotline Bling by Drake in that version. Uh, Billy Mack is now covering ZZ Top's Give Me All Your Loving with Give Me All Your Money <laughs> um, and claiming that he's shagged a Kardashian. Uh, Rowan Atkinson's gift wrapping a red nose. It goes on too long there as well. Mm. Uh, Laura Linney is now dating Patrick Dempsey. Although I couldn't figure out if it was a character played by Patrick Dempsey or it was Patrick Dempsey. Mm. Right. Okay. What did, they were doing did there. Did that ruin it? Not knowing. <laughs> um, it, it was, I mean, the whole thing's bad. And Colin Firth is still with uh, that girl, although they're still struggling to understand each other Hilarious. some 15 years on. <laughs> um, and uh, Liam Neeson's uh, stepkid uh, meets up with him sitting on the Thames and he's saying, he's, oh, I'm still in love with And then he says, oh, I went to New York actually and I got engaged. And he brings the girl, the girl comes out who he's got engaged to and it's that girl all grown up. Oh, really? Who? Wait. Oh, the kid. Wait, yeah. Not Liam Neeson. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good. Very fit now. Mm. <clears throat> she was fit then. Uh, yeah. You could say that. I, I wouldn't like to. <laughs> um, should we do the bits? Because I feel like we've been here all day. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Alex, favourite scene? Uh, best scene is the whole town. And this is why uh, it's my favourite of the stories, despite the fact that she's a cleaner and how uh, power dynamics. Ugh. Uh, the whole town following Colin Firth to the restaurant Aurelia works in so he can propose i think it starts off very funny the chinese whispers of the whole town the gossip going round that the father is planning on selling aurelia to the english guy as a slave <laughs> and then it turns into he's here to kill aurelia it's really funny uh, but mainly it's the fact that this is when i finally caved and i tried not to cry this time because i was like I, I've, I've seen too much of the dark side uh, in this rewatch but I, I caved the bit where he proposes to her in the restaurant it made me cry and I tried to work out why. And I think it's because he has made the effort to learn a foreign language to be able to propose to her. And I know that I would never do that myself for love. Like I would never, it's so much effort. You could and learn like five words. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be bothered. And that's my, that's my thing. I'm like, it just, it touches me that he's gone to that effort that I would never do for love. And then when she goes, I can speak a bit of English too. I'm like, oh, she's tried to, but not as good as him. <laughs> Vicky. Uh, best scene is Emma Thompson's silent breaking heart when she goes upstairs, plays the CD, mm. wiping away the tears. Just the, the way she does crying, but not crying. It's tiny things. She puts the tissue to her nose, but she puts it like up her nostril so she doesn't smudge her foundation. Constantly dabbing at her mascara and then going downstairs. And before you see the kids... Big breath and everything's fine. I and think she makes incredible. a bit of the bed before she goes down. Yeah, that, well. but that to me that that made me cry. She's like, "What do I, I just don't know what to do with this energy and just this faffing and pottering to try and get this emotion through her system oof, without crying in front of the children." This hmm. big. Uh, I like it when the prime minister sings carols to those little girls, and the Welsh guy's got yeah, a really lovely good. voice. Yeah, because uh, I actually laughed in that bit. Uh, MVW, most valuable, whatever, Vicky. Christmas. 
Because without Christmas, this whole thing falls apart because every character more or less is like, because it's Christmas, I'm going to do X, Y, Z batshit mad thing mm. um, and if you don't I can't believe he wrote it and didn't have Christmas to hang it off <laughs> because I don't know what you've got then but I buy a lot of this because it's Christmas because of how much I love Christmas so when you know the confessions of love the race to the airport all of that because it's Christmas I 100% get it and I believe in that Alex have you got something better than Christmas what the fuck <laughs> I do Chris thank you are you gonna, are you gonna you. say that every week now it's, um, it's nice now, that, it's nice that you let her finish but uh, yeah I've got something better than Christmas uh, <laughs> oh it's now it's reached it's, it's reached the bottom of your cheeks <laughs> Don't scratch it. Don't scratch it. You'll just make it worse. It's going to start bleeding. Uh, it's, it's terrifying. <laughs> you take chunks of skin off with your nails. Uh, mine is um, Thomas Sangster, who plays Sam, Liam Neeson's stepson, in it. And here's my reason. And I couldn't work it out for a long time why I like it. And I like every line that he has. And it's because every time he talks about love in this movie, it feels authentic. Because this film's view of love is so childlike. It's the view of a nine-year-old. It's so like, love is just beautiful. It's great. And so he can sell it. But when any of the adult cast talk about love, it just feels disingenuous. Like they're selling the script that doesn't really actually represent what love is whatsoever. But as a kid, you sell it because it's very like, you know, it's like, yay, love. So I actually think he does his bits really well. Cool. Uh, mine is Christmas. <laughs> Are you be- Shut up. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Aurelia's sister, actually, because she's yeah. very funny in that horrible scene that Alex picked where she gets... I think the joke is that she's not good looking and then she gets fat shamed as well, Miss Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, but that's not... I didn't say that was my favourite bit, otherwise you'd have an argument. Uh, but Emma Thompson, I'm going for, for yeah. the same reasons that Vicky said. And if you could change anything, what would you change, Vicky? Back to you. Make Aurelia a writer, make Mia 60 years old and make Martin McCutcheon Chancellor of the fucking Exchequer. Done. Very good. Very good. I'm going to finish as I started. Uh, Brazilian prostitutes. Um, uh, <laughs> the implication, obviously, being Chiwetel Ejiofor's character would have had sex with a sex worker on a stag do if it had been a woman. And it's only the fact that they turned out to be men mm. that prevented him following through on having sex with a sex worker, which makes his character seedy and his marriage a sham. Unless... Andrew Lincoln was hoping to get him drunk and film him having sex with a sex worker to then show to Kira Knightley to break them up so he could then slip in there because we know Andrew Lincoln's a schemer. He could have played the audio. Movie. He could have played the audio of it, couldn't right. he, on exactly. his little stereo. And his little thing, say it's carol singers. Oh, 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 hang on. That's not carol singers. She would tell Egypt was at the door. Kira Knightley's furious. And then there's a video to go with it. Awesome, crude cutouts from a magazine used to represent what was happening and then there you go Andrew Lincoln's in there with Kira Knightley she would tell you before out the picture because he had sex with a Brazilian sex worker that Andrew Lincoln set him up with yeah that's excellent a different film isn't mm-hmm. it <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Vicky on giving those women some agency but she's already said it so I'm going to say this ship was two years after 9-11 so let's, let's inject some realism into proceedings and have airport security shoot the kid at the end <laughs> It doesn't make any sense, does it? It does not. You can't reference a twin literally powers referenced it at the start. And have a kid vault security. Mm. Bang, gone. Security has never been stricter than that frigging year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want some dead sangster. Have you seen Queen's Gambit, Alex? Uh, I have, yeah. It's brilliant. He's good. He's good, isn't he? Oh, he's so good in Amazing. it. Amazing. Yeah, really, yeah. really good. Yeah. I interviewed him once for the Maze Runner. Uh, he was all right, but uh, he's better now. <laughs> 
<laughs> Excellent. Right. Uh, should we do a quiz? Oh, yeah. I know we've been here all day, it feels like, but I've got a quiz for you. I've also got an announcement. Oh, are you leaving? So, Congratulations. There is... Dog. You aren't quizzing for no reason here. You are quizzing because there is a prize. Yay! I love a prize! <laughs> um, Don't look at me like that. That's so horrible. Ever since we changed the format a little bit and I've been writing the quiz and you've been doing them, ever since that moment, I've been keeping score. <gasps> is it? Is the prize money? And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what the prize is yet, and I'm not going to tell you what the scores are yet, but it's very friggin' close oh at this God, point. And the final quiz, when I'll be giving the prize out, will be happening on Boxing Day, um, <laughs> December 26th, our bonus episode. Okay. So concentrate now. This doesn't bring out the best in me, I have to say. Uh, at the moment, I don't think there is a prize. I think this, <laughs> this is a ruse to make us take the quiz more seriously. <laughs> Than we have been doing. I could tell you. I could tell you what the prize is now, but no, I feel like I'll save it. Surprise, yeah. So, by um, the way, I've ordered your Christmas presents. Have you? Yeah. Oh, for once, he's done it early. Yeah, I've got in there this time. <laughs> I won't have to pretend that they're in the post. Like <laughs> the last year. I don't even know why you bother saying. <laughs> okay, uh, this quiz. I'm going to give you the Love Actually or the Holiday Actor and another person. Uh, you tell me the romantic comedy that they, they starred in. in. Yep. Okay. Kicking off with Colin Firth and Rennie Zellweger. Bridget Jones. Correct. Shit in hell. Correct. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Emma Thompson and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, the one where she's pregnant. Junior. Oh, ah! I don't know why Vicky describes the film, so you'll get it quicker. Do the descri- do the describing in your head. That's such a good point. Uh, no, I don't. Cameron Diaz and Ewan McGregor. Oh, uh, lifeless like, ordinary. No, you <laughs> correct. There's a prize apparently, no, Victoria. This can't happen. <laughs> There's a prize. I really thought Vicky would have an advantage here. I just don't know why he's so quick. He's not that clever, and he just annoys <laughs> me. Kira Knightley. Yeah. And this is kind of semi-romance in there. It doesn't quite work out. It's more someone else, but you'll you'll know the film. Kira Knightley and Jonathan Rhys Myers. Were oh. they in? Hmm. But neither of them was the lead character. And they barely get together in it. He sort of gets together with someone else and there's is jealousy. Is it actually like a psychological thing? No. Hmm. It's got... Oh, is it? It's not Wimbledon. It's not the... T- oh, it's... it's a, that's a, match point. Match point. No. Oh, Paris yeah. match. It's, it's sporty, though. Is it? It's not Wimbledon. Oh, no, it's um, Bend It Like Beckham. Correct. Oh. Bend It Like Beckham. Uh, Hugh Grant and Tony Collette. Oh, the music one. Oh, yeah. The You're giving me a clue, but yeah, that's fine. Music and lyrics. Nope. Oh. What is it? A music one. Yep. Oh, not not. Um, is she? Oh, that fucking sister thing. Is she? I mean, it's kind of a music one. His 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 dad wrote a Christmas song that was a big hit. And About so he, a boy. Correct. Yes. Oh. She's back in the game. Uh, Bill Nye and Penelope Wilton. Oh, the last exotic marigold hotel. Oh. Is that correct? Because that's not what I've got. <laughs> oh, shit, it might be. <laughs> we've actually done, we've actually done this film. Bill Nye and Penelope, Penelope Sean Wilton. Sean of the Dead! Correct! Yes! <laughs> Wait, that's not a romantic comedy. <laughs> Sean of the Dead's a romantic, it's a rom-zom-com. Oh, yeah. It's literally in the thing. <laughs> All right, fine. Well, he's so annoyed, isn't he? He's so annoyed. Sorry, Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Jolie. Tin Cup. Is that right? No, it's not right. It is, oh, shit in hell. Piss it. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, it, not Tin Cup. Oh, oh, the thing that they're oh, pushing Tin. Correct. Jesus Christ. 
<laughs> it's 4-3. It's 4-3 and there's four left. Uh, Jack Black and Gwyneth Paltrow. Shall help. Correct. Oh, yeah, well done. Although I seem to have called it shallow hell here. <laughs> uh, Alan Rickman and Juliet Stevenson. Oh, softly, madly, deeply. Truly, madly, deeply. Correct. <laughs> uh, kind of comedy, kind of romantic. Very famous film. We all like this film. Laura Linney and Jim Carrey. Oh, The Truman Show. Correct. Okay. It's five all with one left. I feel sick. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Jude Law and Sienna Miller, Marissa Tomei and Susan Sarandon. Oh, Alfie. Correct. Yeah! Alex wins. Shit. <laughs> oh, no. Merry Christmas. I'd like to thank Hollywood for all the romantic comedies I've watched over the years. Can't believe I got Pushing Tin. Man, Tin Cup. Such an awful movie. Pushing Tin Cup. Pushing Tin Cup. Great. I'm happy with that. How are you feeling, Victoria? I really thought you'd have an advantage there, but uh, thanks for the help with Junior, because it was one, one point in it. Never seen that movie. So, you know? No, but I know the Arnie Pregnant movie, which... Thank for you. Thank you. Uh, you described that. Uh, great, oh. great, great, great. Lovely quiz today. Really enjoyed that. Uh, all right. So, uh, very quick conversation. Huddle. Uh, are we doing clues or not doing clues? Are we just announcing the Christmas? Let's announce movies? the Christmas films. All oh, right. Which means next week. Uh, these are, I guess, my choices. Although we all chose them, but I'm giving you two. It's my turn to give you two movies. And uh, my clue was going to be <laughs> Jingle Guns, Jingle Guns. <laughs> Jingle guns, guns, guns. I'm so, glad we're not doing clues. I'm glad we're just announcing them. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> oh, um, I, I don't know which you want. I'm just going to throw them out there. So we are doing uh, two wonderful Christmas action movies, Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. Die Hard? Uh, that's not what I said last week. Yeah, <laughs> that's not what you gave us last week. I know. Lethal Weapon for you, Victoria. Yeah. Die Hard for you, Chris. Yep. Oh. And then the week after, um, I am dishing out the films. Yeah. Uh, Alex, you have Santa Claus the movie. Okay, my favourite Christmas movie as a child. Vicky has Elf. Lovely. Excellent. So that is the next two weeks of our Christmas countdown specials covered. You've got time in advance this time to do your homework, so I hope you've watched all those movies uh, already, and I hope you watch them in preparation. Uh, That's us done. We'll be back on Thursday to go through the holiday, uh, keeping this Christmas spirit going. Uh, do subscribe to us wherever you get your pods, uh, Apple, Spotify, or other. And if you do have time, rate and review us as well. It's very useful to us. Thanks very much. Back on Thursday. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.